Today we've come to part B of chapter 6 of First Timothy and we're going to read the whole chapter again, uh, but today we're going to be focusing on verses 11 to 16. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honour, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Keep hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only Sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honour and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you, Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Right, well, 
I went to Gundawindi for a funeral this week. And the thing with funerals is they remind us of our own mortality. And they're supposed to do that. So every time we go to a funeral, it's sort of supposed to make us think of our own funeral. And that's what it did for me. Um, I, I haven't had my funeral yet, by the way, so you're sort of thinking forward. Uh, I haven't even marked it on the calendar, and I don't want any of you to take this the wrong way, but I'm sort of secretly hoping that not all of you are going to be able to make it. Um, but, but when it comes to your funeral, how do you want to be remembered? Uh, would I want somebody to say, oh, Michael, he was a very religious man. I actually hope nobody says that. I'd much rather them say... He was a man of God. How would you like to be known? As being religious or as being a man or a woman of God? There's a very significant difference. A religious person has some level of belief and might jump through a few hoops and things, while a man or woman of God, they are really serious about their faith and they actively pursue godliness. So last week, we were talking about contentment and finding our contentment in Christ. Uh, the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ is so different to the kingdom of this world. And, and so we value things very differently. Uh, while people of this world might crave wealth and stuff and achievements and want more and more and more, we, we enjoy contentment, the kind of contentment that comes in godliness. Verse 6 summed it up when it said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And in chapter 6, a key word that just keeps coming through over and over again is the word godliness. As a man of God or as a woman of God, you will do things very differently to how the world does it. We pursue godliness. Now, to pursue godliness, to chase after godliness, means that we flee away from something. We, we run away from worldliness. And that's what, what Paul says to Timothy. He says in verse 11, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Now, what things is he talking about? Well, it's all the sort of stuff that we were talking about last week. Is flee from teaching that isn't godly. Flee from teaching that appeals to the fleshly, worldly cravings that we have. Flee from the love of money. Uh, flee from controversial teaching that, that it results in all sorts of nasty stuff. You know, I've heard some folks say, oh, it doesn't matter what, what, you, what teaching you listen to. You can listen to all manner of teaching. Just keep the meat, spit out the bones. Right? So, so in other words, they're saying it doesn't matter um, you, what the teaching is. You'll get some good out of it and just disregard what's bad or what's controversial. But that's not what Paul's saying here. He's saying, no way. Flee from it. Run from these things. But being a godly man or a godly woman doesn't mean that we only run away from things. We also run to something. A godly man or a godly woman pursues godliness. We chase after godliness. And so Paul says to Timothy, pursue righteousness. That means strive to do the right thing at all times. We honour God by doing this. He says, pursue godliness. Right? Keep God at the centre and reflect Christ-likeness in everything that we do. Pursue faith. Our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. 
Let's never fall into the trap of having some sort of moral religion where, where we tend to think that we've earned our righteousness by being good. We could never be that good. Our righteousness doesn't come through works. Our righteousness comes through faith, faith in the one who, who bought our freedom. Our faith is in the one whom we cannot see. Um, and, and we know and we believe that he is coming again. This is what we believe. And we pursue this faith. We keep on in the faith. We don't drag our feet. We don't take our minds off him. We just keep pursuing this faith. And no matter how much the world might think that you're crazy for the faith that you hold, that don't matter. God has given us something so much greater than caring what other people think about us. And he says, pursue love. As Paul said to the Corinthian church, if I've got faith, big enough to shift mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Love. It's the bread and butter of being a Christian. Um, Jesus said to his disciples, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples. By the way, you love one another. And he says, pursue steadfastness. Do not be shaken. Stand fast in God's word. Hear it. Believe it. Do it. And pursue gentleness. You know, some Christians can come across as being terribly abrasive sorts of people and harsh and cutting. But those who are godly pursue gentleness because this is the way of the Spirit and it's the way of Christ. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. So men and women of God pursue these things. And in 1 Corinthians... And Hebrews chapter 12, we're given an image of running a race, right? And, and sometimes we, we, we talk about these things. We run this race of endurance. We fix our eyes on Jesus and just keep on running for the prize. And then in 1 Corinthians, he then goes on to talk about boxing, right? He says, we're not boxing, we're not punching into the air. Um, and he sort of takes up a similar image here. So we're pursuing godliness. We're pursuing all these things. But then he brings, a, brings up this image of this struggle, this wrestle, this fight. In verse 12, he says, fight the good fight of the faith. Not everyone does that. Sadly, many folk will start out following Jesus, but they're not prepared for the struggle that it is. They're not prepared for the fight that it is to continue on. And... So they're not prepared to wrestle or fight um, that, that what the living the Christian life actually is. And so they fall away. Jesus warned, this, warned us about this. He, he told the parable of the sower, right? He, so he talks about this, this paddock that gets planted with wheat. And there's two, two parts of that paddock there that, that fit in with what we're talking about now. Some of the crop ran out of puff because it was on stony ground. It was very shallow soil and it didn't have root. And some Christians, they're not ready to struggle for the faith. And as soon as some persecutions come along or, or, or some sufferings come their way because of their faith, they can't handle it and they fall away. They go, I, I never knew that being a disciple of Jesus would make me so unpopular. I never, I never knew that that I would be so demeaned by others because I've chosen to follow Jesus. 
uh, they were hoping for an easy life and they weren't ready for the struggle. They weren't ready to contend for their faith. They're shallow-rooted and so they lose faith. Do you know what? I, I praise God for the millions of Christians who continue to face persecutions every day, every week, and they, yet they struggle through those persecutions and they continue to fight the good fight. And it's not a fight which you fight with weapons. It's not a fight that's fought with strategies of war. It's the good fight of faith, taking hold of eternal life that we've been called to and holding on to that. And they're being a witness for Jesus, telling the world the good news of Jesus. Even when their life is in peril because they share the gospel, they continue to share this good news of Jesus because they're not ashamed of him. And yet here we are in safe old Australia, and what a terrible indictment it is on us as Christians and, and on us as a church when we're ashamed of Jesus. We mightn't feel ashamed of Jesus, but, but we just declined to tell people about Jesus. We de declined to share our faith because, oh, I don't really want them to think bad of me or whatever. You know what? When we do that, we're being ashamed of Jesus. When we are mocked for being Christians, let's stand up for Jesus. And with love and with conviction, let's make the good confession and, and praise the name of our Lord for the whole world to hear. Jesus also told us about weedy ground and thorny ground. Uh, some hear the word and they, they receive it with great joy, but then other stuff comes in cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke out the word and it proves unfruitful. But I praise God for the millions of Christians who find their contentment in Christ, who turn their face away from worldly wealth, all of that stuff that, that moth and rust will destroy. I thank God for, for those who use what worldly possessions they have for the growing of the kingdom of God. Everything belongs to God. So let's use what we have for the building of his kingdom. And let's never get diverted by fruitless desires for other things. And so fighting the good fight, it's not about taking up arms to fight in a battle. And it's not about jumping up and down in protest of what others might be doing. Fighting the good fight is about the faith that we ourselves have. It's about holding on to the faith. It's about taking hold of the eternal life. You know, th this physical life that we have, it might get taken away from us. But no one can take our eternity. Fighting the good fight is about confessing Christ. And it's about obedience to our Lord. Keeping the faith free from reproach until the return of our Lord Jesus. Now, in verses 13 and 14, Paul charges Timothy to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. What commandment is he talking about? He's actually talking about the Christian faith. That's our commandment. Keep the faith 
Don't pollute the Christian faith. Don't water it down. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't change it. Hold on to what Jesus taught and hold on to godly teaching. Now, as I read this this section, I was reminded of of Revelation 19. It's one of my favourite images of the church. Not a very blokey image. Um, When Jesus returns, the image is given in Revelation 19 of a bridegroom coming to claim his bride. And some of you blokey blokes are going to have to get over this, but we're the bride, okay? As Christians, as the church... We are the bride that that Christ is coming for. Um, And we are keenly waiting for Jesus. And in Revelation 19, it says, Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Right? It's an image of what we're reading in verse 14. To keep the commandment unstained. Right? That's that bright garment. Clean, pure, and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, the coming of the bridegroom. Right? That's our mission. As the church... There's our mission right there. Hold on to the faith. Keep the faith unstained, pure, holy. Last week we looked ahead to verse 13. Um, the reason we looked ahead, because we needed it to, to, needed to hear what it was saying to understand what we're studying last week. And, and we talked about the good confession that Jesus made to Pilate. When Jesus was on trial for his life, he was hauled before Pilate. And do you remember what he told Pilate? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. He then went on to explain that his kingdom was very different to this world. And he told him that that Christ was born to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to Jesus. And so we keep the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the the confession that he made before Pilate, which is so different to what the world would have it want us to believe. And we keep holding on to that faith until the day that Jesus returns. There's a verse in Luke chapter 18 that we don't read very often. It says, Luke 18 verse 7, it says, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? This is Jesus speaking, by the way. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. And here's a really, a much unknown verse. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? See, this is what we're charged with here. Jesus is coming. He's coming to bring justice. He's coming to bring eternal life. He's He's coming to those who hold on to the faith. But is there going to be faith here when he comes? 
How will we answer that question today? Jesus says, but will there be faith when I come? How are you going to answer him? Yes, Lord. Yes, there's going to be faith when you come. We're going to have here faith. We are going to be holding on to the faith. You'll find it in us. Is, is anyone sort of that way inclined? A couple of them. Oh, I'm a little bit faithful. The rest of you. Is there going to be faith when Jesus comes? I want to hear a response. Yes. Is it going to be in you? Yes. Yeah. But how long is it going to be? How long is it going to be before Jesus comes? You know, as we read the New Testament, there's spots there where it seems that the disciples of Jesus were fully expecting Jesus to return in their own lifetime. Um, a little bit later on, when it's delayed a fair bit, it sort of seems like, that, okay, well, maybe he's not coming in our own lifetime, but he's coming. But the whole thing is, we've got to be ready the whole time. And in every generation, Christians have been longing for the return of Jesus to come in their own lifetime. And Christians look at the world events around them and they look at the evil that's mounting up in the world and they say, ooh, it's got to be soon. It's got to be soon. I've, I've heard, ever since I was a kid, I've heard, I've heard Christians saying, ooh, it's going to be in the next year or two. It's going to be in the next year or two. It's going to be soon. It's going to be soon. And you know what? I look at the world today. And I see the evil that's in the world. Um, nothing has highlighted this for me more uh, than in the last couple of weeks. Um, a couple of weeks ago, the US Supreme Court overturned one of their previous decisions. Um, it was known as Roe versus Wade and to do with abortion in the United States. And, and basically by overturning it, what they've done is they've given individual states the right to decide and to legislate whether abortion is legal in their state or not. Basically, it puts it in the same position as what Australia is. That's legislated in, in our states. And in the United States, and not only there, everywhere across the world, here in Australia, there have been massive protests. And I've seen on the news young women crying because other women aren't going to be allowed to kill their unborn babies. And I think, what is wrong with our world? How, how could we become so evil that... I'm just dumbfounded. How, how could our culture become so evil that it would lament the inability to slay an innocent, unborn baby. So much that they weep. And I see a situation like this, and I pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. How evil has our world become? And those who look to geopolitical events expect Jesus to come at any moment. Uh, the evil Vladimir Putin and his Russian aggression the rise of China in the east and its massive military might increasing by the day. And we wonder, is this the army that's going to march from the east that we read about? Is Jesus about to return? I don't know. But the point is, we're supposed to be ready all the time. He could come at any moment. And I don't know when he is going to return, but I can tell you that he, when he does come, it's going to be at just the right moment. And when Jesus returns... It's known as the epiphany. Um, it comes from the Greek word, which means to appear. 
It's the epiphany of Jesus. He's going to appear. It's going to be a visible appearing of Jesus. By his Holy Spirit, Jesus has been active in the world ever since he ascended into heaven to his Father. He ascended into heaven and he sent his Holy Spirit. Ever since he ascended, he has been active in this world by his Holy Spirit. God is present and active in this world and in this church right here, right now, today. But we don't see him. We can't see him. But at the proper time, at just the right moment, he's going to appear. There's going to be an epiphany. And Jesus will be here for the whole world to see. And so today, we're living by faith. But at that time, our faith will be sight. We will see him as he is. There's not going to be any secret coming of Jesus. There's no talk in the scriptures about any secret coming of Jesus. He appears for the whole world to see. And at this point of his letter, Paul bursts into praise. How could he not? When we think about the coming of Jesus, how can we not praise him? He says, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honour and eternal dominion. Amen. Our call is to godliness. And when we read this description of God... Being content with godliness, it's actually a bit of an understatement, isn't it? How could we not be content with this? He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings. right? When, when Jesus appears, every world leader, every king, every parliament, every president, every prime minister, every premier, every dictator, every elected official will bow before Jesus. Because he is the only true sovereign. He is the king above every king. And he's the Lord of lords. Every powerful, powerful person who has servants under them, who bow down to their every whim, they themselves will bow to the Lord of lords. I was thinking about this before. That our Senate in, in Australia, it's modelled on, on the House of Lords in England. And they, every one of those lords in the house of lords, will bow before the Lord. And I get a bit of a giggle from this. Every person in our Senate, who are the Australian version of the house of lords, will bow before Jesus. And as you know, there's some very anti-Jesus people in our Senate, especially the Greens. And on that day, every one of those are going to bow before Jesus because he is the Lord. who alone has immortality. Um, there'd be a lot of money if anybody could ever achieve it. Um, but there's a lot of research going into genetics and trying to find the ageing gene and trying to switch it off. Why? Because then the wealthy could live forever. It's never going to happen. You know why? Because he alone has immortality. And, and he is the one who gives eternal life. He is the one who chooses who gets this. 
who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Even Moses, when he wanted to see God, God had to set it up so that he didn't see his face. You know. Otherwise he would have died. So it tucks him away in a cleft of the rock and he says, look, I'm going to walk past and um, you can come out and see my, my back, but, but don't look at my face or else you're going to die. And God is so awesome. Um, I keep telling you, I want to reclaim that word for what it really means. Um, I mean, Robin cooked a really nice dinner last night, but it wasn't awesome. It wasn't awesome. Awesome means scary, marvellous, right? Uh, think of the word awful, and you're closer than, closer than oh, that's a really yummy thing to eat. Um, he is so awesome. When the new heavens and the new earth come... There's not even going to be a need for the sun because it's going to be lit with the glory of God. To him be honour and eternal dominion. It simply means his kingdom will never end. This is what we're looking forward to. This is why we are content with godliness. This is why we, we don't pursue worldly stuff the stuff that moth and rust will destroy. And we hold on to this faith. Now, last week, I think I told you that, that we'd be getting through to the end of this chapter. Uh, today, we failed. Uh, so next week, we'll, we'll finish off this chapter, and which will be the end of, of 1 Timothy. But to finish up today, I'm just going to share the last word of verse 16. Amen. That means, yep, verily, verily, amen, amen, truly, truly, I believe this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we want to thank you for the faith that you've given us. Lord, um, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross and to save us from our sins so that we could be forgiven. And Lord God, we, we confess our sins to you. Everything evil that we've done, every evil thought, we, we hand them over to you. Lord, we are sorry for these things. We repent of these things. And Lord God, we thank you that you forgive us for these things. Lord, we have faith in you, but like that man who, who wanted healing for his, for his child, Lord, we say, I believe, help my unbelief. In other words, Lord, we have faith, but Lord, give us more faith. Make us stronger in the faith. Um, Lord, help us to hold on to our faith above all things, not being distracted by, by other things in this world and certainly not being ashamed of you when we're persecuted for our faith. Lord, just help us to always be holding on to that faith and sharing our faith, being witnesses for you around us. And Lord, we pray for your return. We say, come, Lord Jesus. Bring your kingdom into being. We long for that day. In Jesus' name.